providing real solutions for real industry challenges. Welcome to FNF Unplugged, the talk of the title industry. Welcome to FNF Unplugged. It is my honor to have James Chow here from Buckley LLP, all the way from Washington, D.C. Thank you. It's great to be here, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Now, James, I'd really like to hear a little bit about your story. How did you go from defense analyst for the U.S. Army to our cyber threat discussion today? Yeah, it's, it's actually quite an interesting story. I, I, I always wanted to go to law school and it took me a really long time to finally do it. And after I, I graduated, you know, a lot of my friends said, hey, you should practice for a few years. And I, and I said, what should I practice? And I'm like, well, you got to figure that out. I eventually found my way to financial services. I thought it was a really interesting area and it can really benefit from the cybersecurity experience that, that you kind of gain as you, you know, spend time in the defense industry. And, and as many people know, uh, you know, federal agencies are highly regulated with respect to cybersecurity programs. And, and I get out here into the, to the wild, so to speak. And, and, uh, you know, I get to Buckley and they, they have a good cybersecurity practice and, uh, supporting a lot of banks, financial institutions, and, and other clients. And I said, look, this is stuff that I've done for quite a while. <laughs> Maybe this is something that you know I can continue doing. And I do think it helps given that I've been in the defense industry for so many years. It, I feel like to some extent, it's still helping with national security as, as cybersecurity is still a big issue in the, the private sector. And, and we need to improve the critical infrastructure security uh, across the United States. So that's, that's kind of how I ended up here. It's definitely been having a lot of fun uh, working for financial institutions. Well, that is great because we need more people with your expertise and your experience in this space in financial services. So James, tell us a little bit about the cyber threat landscape that we're in right now. Yeah, so I think it's important for companies to really understand that that cyber isn't really the same thing as it was, you know, 10 years ago, and it wasn't the same thing as it was five years ago. It, it really, you know, evolves over time. And really a, a big part of being in this space and helping with cybersecurity is to keep abreast of current events. And so right now, one of the big things that, you know, we've heard all over the news, and it is a big thing is is ransomware. Ransomware is becoming a huge threat. And and part of it is, is because, you know, what ransomware is around for many, many years, uh, you know, people were getting impacted, you know, even a, a decade ago. But what has happened over time is there's been a lot of sophisticated actors that have basically uh, licensed their platform for all sorts of different groups to use. And so what you're starting to see in this field is ransomware platforms or ransomware as a service, as we call it, being given to a lot of different groups, which then the group that provides the ransomware then collects a fee because, you know, the other group attacks uh, some company, extorts money, and then now they split the fees. And so right now there's more and more threat groups uh, that are doing this stuff. There's a lot of basically variants of ransomware, and that makes it very hard for the defense companies to kind of keep up with, with decryption keys. And now we're seeing the ransomware be very, very tailored. So now you have groups that spend a lot more time in computer networks, uh, in victims' networks, to basically find all of their backups and, and lock those up. They start to look at your insurance policies to see how much they can extort. 
And they also hold your data hostage by exfiltrating the data. And they, you know, additionally to say, hey, look, if, if you don't pay your ransom, not only will you not get it back, but we'll release your data, you know, in the wild. And the other thing we do see is that financial and professional services still remain the top targeted industry. It usually scores in the top three. And in 2020, it was definitely in the, uh, the top industry. There's a lot of reasons for that. The first one is the data is very valuable, uh, you know, that financial institutions uh, maintain. And two, a lot of money flows through financial institutions, you know, whether it be funds or, or whatnot. And, and all of those things are, are very much open to uh, exploitation and, and financial gain from these actors. Are there any other vulnerabilities you want to mention? Look, exploitations remain a huge issue. One of the things that we do see is hackers do watch the vulnerability reports. Uh, you know, when, when software companies come out and they publish the vulnerability in the patch, uh, that gives hackers a signal that these are the vulnerabilities that are out in the wild that they can exploit. And so, you know, we have a saying in the cyber community and it's called, um, Patch Tuesday, Hack Wednesday, right? Because once, you know, patches normally come out on Tuesday, and if you're not ready to have your system patched, they are able to understand where the vulnerabilities are in your system, and all the systems that are unpatched the next day are the ones getting exploited. So a lot of them exist in recently in the remote desktop protocol and the Windows services. Those are very top targets for exploitation and vulnerability. And, and recently, we've seen a lot of uh, attackers exploit the supply chain. So, you know, a lot of different cloud service providers or managed services are being attacked because they have connections into many, many different companies. And, and a lot of these companies don't have very sophisticated cyber teams to really understand you know, where these vulnerabilities exist. And so they're very, very dependent on these software companies to, to release and to really uh, notify them that they have to basically install these patches uh, prior to any sort of attack happening to them. So obviously this is big business, right? So how are regulators or government entities responding to this? So what you're seeing now in the field is there is more and more uh, regulation. So Congress basically produced what they called the Solarium Report in, in July of 2020. And basically that had a variety of recommendations for how to strengthen national cybersecurity. One of them that, that the industry should be aware of is the CISA, which is the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Agency, Security Agency. And basically they've been strengthened under the NDAA, which is the National Defense Authorization Act of 2021. And they are going to have a much greater role in not only uh, policing federal networks, but also uh, to develop the private sector, particularly uh, a critical infrastructure in which financial services is a part of. And so more money is being provided to CISA, and they're also providing a lot more resources to the private sector, which include pre-vulnerability scanning, uh, almost, uh, you know, with, I would say, free uh, cybersecurity consulting. And companies are encouraged to sort of reach out to, to CISA and some of these government entities that will really help in terms of bolstering your, your cybersecurity security program. Cybersecurity regulations, on the other hand, for financial services are also being boosted. New York uh, DFS probably came up with the flagship cybersecurity regulations for regulated entities and, and really have a lot more technical requirements that are linked 
kind of to the standard. So what you're seeing also is cyber regulation moving past just the traditional data breach notification to consumers and more towards, you know, understanding the various aspects of potential attacks, including denial service attacks and ransomware, and and also the mandating certain protections, such as multi-factor authentication and encryption. And what we see now is the FTC sort of dovetailing off of the New York cybersecurity regulations and starting to propose more improvements to the safeguards rule, which apply to all financial institutions. And really part of it is to bolster the incident response planning aspects of uh, programs. And then the banking organizations on top of that, their regulators, uh, prudential regulators are starting to propose, you know, in the wake of SolarWinds and a few other uh, big attacks uh, to have a 36-hour notification of basically not only data breaches, but anything that affects, you know, their operations and, and, you know, business operations to include disruption of service providers. That's a big aspect for a lot of uh, companies and and financial services providing services uh, to banking organizations as well. So what are the implications of all this? So I think what you're going to see is a move more towards a full range of cybersecurity compliance standards. We're starting to see that with New York DFS and and a lot of state regulators. They're really expecting to see, you know, companies have a comprehensive written information security program that's covering a lot of threats that is risk-driven. And really, you know, there are a lot of resources for this, this cybersecurity framework, which, which I could talk about a little bit more later. I think that'll help financial institutions start focusing on these sort of things, you know, if they haven't already. And to be sure, there's been a lot lot of focus on this and, and we've seen a lot of financial institutions really kind of work through their cyber uh, security programs uh, and, and now really honestly there's a range of threats that you know financial services need to be aware of. The one government website that I always encourage our customers to go to and any business that's in financial services is ic3.gov which is the internet crime complaints center they came out with a report in 2020 that was very eye-opening now if you're not familiar with ic3.gov they are a data collection agency if there's any breach that's happened in your business any attempt you should report that attempt at ic3.gov. Now, I have had some feedback from people and companies saying, well, you know, they're not responding to us. Why should I put that information in there? It takes some of my time and it takes some effort. And that's absolutely true. But the core functions of ic3.gov is to collect information, to analyze it, to create public awareness and provide referrals to other agencies. So it's imperative that if there is a breach or an attempted breach that you provide that information to ic3.gov and take that time. Because in that report, which you can go to the site and get that report, it will show you how many complaints they receive per day, where they come from, what the average losses are. And that really provides us in the financial services industry, some great information, you know, the age groups that are victims, what the top 10 number of victims by state are. And right now, California and Florida are the two top states of cyber crime victims. However, when it comes to the actual dollar amounts, the highest is California, but second and third are Texas and New York. 
So it affects different states in different ways and at different times. It's, it's a great way of tracking what's going on. So we always want to know how to recognize a possible threat. What could be the common indicators? Because all of us in financial services, whether we're title agents, settlement agents, realtors, attorneys, your money is at risk. Your reputation is at risk. Your business is at stake. So we all have to take a very active role in risk management and do things that will help our business and to keep us safe because there's threats within and there's threats that are come with outside of your company. So you have to make sure that you keep things safe and secure, whether it's accounts, whether it's clouds, whether it's not giving a lot of information on your social media accounts or, or your company websites. You have to be cognizant of all those things. So James, give us some practical stay safe solutions that you've seen can really help businesses in financial services industry. Certainly, Linda. And to dovetail to your point, training is a big thing. The fact that somebody's listening today and, and really understanding what's going on in the cyber field, I think, you know, goes a long way. However, the second thing that we often really talk about that is what I would say very cost efficient and, and really will help you in terms of complying with the emerging privacy laws today is to minimize your tax surface. And, and really what that means is closing doors that don't need to be open. And really what that also means is having a good data governance and really understanding where your data assets are. So when we look at a lot of assessments of, of companies, we often see you know, their passwords are stored on the network. They have too many privileged accounts. Uh, sensitive data is being stored on many, many different systems. And the first question we often ask is, do you really need all these privileged accounts? Do you really need your, your sensitive data being stored in all these locations? And what really happens in these cases is you are providing more opportunities for you know, hackers or attackers to, to exploit your systems. What we really ask companies to do is to try to find ways to minimize the amount of excess data you have, minimize the excess privileges you have, and, and really protect your passwords. A lot of times what we see is hackers gain a foothold on the network and have access to sort of a basic user account, but they find passwords, uh, privileged passwords on the system, and they're able to very easily escalate their privileges across systems and conduct things like ransomware attacks. So so this is actually a really a good thing to, to do for companies and, and really helps you not be the easy target, so to speak, when hackers are scanning or attackers are, are trying to find things to, to exploit. It really starts with the very basics. I mean, you don't have to have some a highly sophisticated program. You really need to start with the basics of security. Right, and the great thing about it is many companies come back and they, they find out there's they're services they don't need and, and there's you know systems they don't need and, that, and there's data, honestly, that they don't need. And this sort of lowers your maintenance costs and your operational costs because you no longer have to maintain these things. And these are avenues into your network that you end up closing off and makes it a lot easier to protect you know, the things that matter. 
The other thing that we often recommend, especially in today's ransomware-driven threats, is to really maintain, and, and this goes beyond ransomware, but to really have a robust backup solution. I, you know, it's backups are, are things that a lot of business owners don't really want to think about, you know, but but it is very essential. It really is the fail-safe solution if something really goes wrong and you can't recover. Nowadays, we really recommend having either an automated backup solution or a cloud backup solution or, or, or some combination thereof. We follow the 3-2-1 rule, which is, a, is, is sort of a widely known rule of thumb, which is to have always have three copies of your data, to have two backups and one copy of that backup in an offsite location. The great thing about cloud is cloud is generally considered an offsite or uh, location, which, you know, in case your site is compromised and your your network is compromised, you you always have that backup. And and this really helps, you know, with respect to ransomware, because at the end of the day, if you really lose control of your data, at least you have a copy of your data that you can recover from and you're not starting from zero. Now, some of the things to really consider, you know, as you go through your, your backup solution is how long can you live without your data? And then at what point, you know, if you had to recover your data, how much data loss can you live with? You know, can you live with a day? Can you live with a couple hours? And those really sort of drive what your backup solution is going to look like. And some people have recommended, especially ransomware specific backup providers, electronic seed vaults, which essentially are very, very um, hardened backup systems that only back up at certain points in time. And they, they disallow a lot of different things certain right permissions onto the backup system to prevent, you know, ransomware from gaining a foothold on those backups. So that's another, you know, good thing to have. And it's always, like I said, a good uh, a fail safe for companies that experience any sort of attack, uh, ransomware or otherwise. James, how important is awareness and communication? So awareness is probably... If I were to say like the top three ways to stay safe, it, it's one of the three, right? Training and, and really just making sure you have a low attack surface. This is one of the top three things because, you know, if you know what's coming down, you are much better prepared for the threat. And really, we see this in terms of vulnerabilities as well. When you run a vulnerability scan, for instance, as a company, you're going to come back with hundreds of different vulnerabilities, you know, critical, moderate, low, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, a small fraction of those are the ones that are currently exploited in the wild. And so you can save yourself a lot of frustration and a lot of time by focusing your attention on, you know, the threats that are actively being exploited in the wild. And really, there's a lot of companies that provide free intelligence, CISA which we mentioned earlier, provides a great resource for letting um, companies know what are the, the principal threats, what are the critical vulnerabilities, and what's really happening in the wild. There's a lot of companies that provide a lot of, uh, you know, other things like IPs that are at risk, IPs that have traditionally IP addresses that have uh, traditionally been used either for denial service attacks or exploits. Uh, Cyber Threat Coalition maintains that. The MITRE attack framework is, is another great resource, for example, that gives you an idea of uh, the methods that hackers use to exploit your systems. Ultimately, we often recommend getting in touch with your local FBI office, uh, you know, the FBI has, has made substantial inroads with, with private sector with respect to private public partnerships and, and really helping the um, 
the private sector improve their cybersecurity uh, programs and, and their special agents are not afraid to come out and, and talk about these things with your company, particularly the specific threats to your specific industry, including financial services. So James, how important is it to have written policies and procedures and revisiting and reviewing your incident response processes? The written framework and the written information security program is is sort of the benchmark of what we call good cybersecurity practice. You don't really have really good cyber protection until you have a written program. And and there's many, many resources to help you and, and small companies even build these sort of cybersecurity programs in a way that really helps them. And so it's not just a bunch of policies that nobody ever looks at, right? The NIST cybersecurity framework was was one of those that that you know we talked about earlier that really was designed to help large businesses, small businesses, and it provides you with a roadmap, even for the uninitiated cyber practitioner, the roadmap to what exactly the things you need to have a good cybersecurity program, you know, from identifying threats to detecting threats, and then ultimately to responding to threats because at the end of the day, you know, as, as hard as we work uh, to prevent threats, attacks will occur and we want to have a good program to respond uh, and recover from incidents. And, and this has really been a focus among regulators. It's been a focus. And, and also, as we've seen in intelligence reports, the recovery time and the detection times are dropping as industry standards. So companies are doing a very good job on this side. And, and so, you know, it really is incumbent upon companies to understand their, their networks and be able to respond to threats as, as they occur. You know, and most companies don't have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to these processes and incident reports because NIST, which is the National Institute of Standards and Technology, they have a great cybersecurity framework that you can pull from their website. The FTC has great resources for small business. And literally, you can go to ftc.gov forward slash small business, and you can get a lot of resources, and and including the, the NIST cybersecurity framework. Also, the American Land Title Association has a great incident response framework that can be utilized by financial services companies. So, James, as we wrap up our pretty scary conversation, what would be the one or two things that you really want people to take away if they've really haven't dove into being cyber safe and making sure your business is cyber safe or keeping your team cyber safe? The one thing is awareness training. This podcast is one great example of this, so I appreciate that. But really understanding all the free resources that you have from all of these websites, from CISA, from all, from all of these uh, groups that are really trying to help you out. There's a lot of free resources out there. We encourage you to sort of check them out and then also to help use these resources to educate your, your workforce because an educated workforce is a huge step in being cyber safe. And then, of course, to start building and to start thinking about a written program if, if you haven't done that. And finally, to really understand where your data is because you can't protect what you don't know. And and that's really a, a big cornerstone of cybersecurity. And, you know, understanding how your systems sort of operate and, you know, training your employees will really help you improve your cybersecurity posture. Well, you are speaking my language. It boils down to an educated workforce. 
James, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I so look forward to working with you in the future. And hopefully we can sit on a panel together or, or maybe do a couple more podcasts as the landscape changes. Oh, yeah, definitely. This was, I had a great time here. I really appreciate you inviting me out and talking about this really important topic. If you have questions, comments, or would like us to feature a specific topic, email fnfeducation at fnf.com. Thanks for downloading FNF Unplugged, a presentation of the FNF family of companies, all rights reserved. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent, including Fidelity National Financial or its directors. Please seek legal or financial advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.